I'm not happy about this. We have to see what, what happens. The fallout from the mysterious disappearance of the prominent Saudi government critic Jamal Khashoggi continues to be felt around the world. Today, I'll speak with a Bloomberg reporter who not only knows Khashoggi, but also recently interviewed the man many believe is behind his disappearance, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Donna Abu Nasser, the bureau chief for Bloomberg News in Beirut, who has covered the region for years, joins me now. Donna, thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Can you please tell me your relationship with the missing journalist Jamal Khashoggi? Uh, I met Jamal in 2002 in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. If you recall, that was uh, a few months after the September 11 attacks, and uh, Jamal was deputy editor-in-chief of Arab News, but more important for us journalists who were visiting Saudi Arabia probably for the first time, uh, Jamal was a very valuable source on Al-Qaeda, uh, which was behind the attacks, and Osama bin Laden, whom uh, Jamal knew, uh, he because Jamal uh, worked in Afghanistan. Uh, he followed the rise of Osama bin Laden, interviewed bin Laden, and so uh, that, that's uh, why Jamal was important for us visiting journalists uh, to Saudi Arabia at that time. So he sounded like a very valuable tool in the region, but you got to know him as a person. So what was he like as a person? Um, uh, when I think of Jamal, and I'm going to use the present tense, um, Jamal is a very uh, generous person. He, he is generous with his time. He uh, was very patient and is very patient with people who do not know uh, much about Saudi Arabia. Uh, as a journalist, he understands that we need to ask some basic questions sometimes. He was never and is never patronizing, uh, very welcoming, and and uh, despite his closeness to some senior uh, members in the royal family and officials, he, rem he is humble. I mean, he doesn't have a, uh, you know, this smirk of superiority that some people have. In fact, when I think of him, I think of uh, this big smile that lights up his face and the twinkle in his eyes. You use the, you, you just said you want to talk to him about in the present tense because you know, there's still questions uh, uh, of where he is or what has happened to him. And it strikes me as, you know, an eerie coincidence today that just last week you were part of a team for Bloomberg who sat down with the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who is supposedly behind his disappearance. What was the crown prince like when you spoke with him? Uh, he was very welcoming. Uh, he spoke about Trump. Uh, he spoke about topics crucial to his vision to reform the economy, like oil, the Aramco IPO, the economy. Mm -hmm. And then um, we also asked him about uh, Jamal and, and what happened to him. And what did he say? Uh, well, he said that uh, he has heard the rumors. He called them rumors about what happened. Uh, he said Jamal is a Saudi citizen and uh, that the government is very keen to know what happened to him. Uh, he insisted that Jamal entered the consulate and left it a few minutes or up to an hour later. Um, and he said he's not sure what happened next. All of this considered and trying to figure out what happens next. I, I want to look back three years when the crown prince took power. And over those three years, he's made a very 
globally public effort to come across as a, a, a true reformer. What did he do to earn that reputation? Well, he started with the economy. I mean, he had this vision to move the economy away from its dependence on oil. This is one. Um, he has made life easier in Saudi Arabia for non-conservative Saudis, for um, foreigners who live there. He's allowed women to drive. Um, even music was banned in public places before, and now it's not. You can hear it in many restaurants, and in fact, sometimes it's too loud. Out. Um, uh, women, uh, he said, do not have to wear those black abayas uh, that they have to wear in public. He said they have to wear them, but they don't have to be black. And uh, so you can see some color emerging in this whole black and white picture that you have in Saudi Arabia. Uh, men and women can mix more easily now. Before, if you wanted to buy a burger, you had to stand in a line especially for women and another line for men. So in that respect, there, ha there is more relaxation in public. You talk about these cultural changes, these economic changes, all these things that sound positive, but sometimes perception isn't always reality, it seems, because the Crown Prince did do things that did take away from this shine as, as a real reformer, didn't he? Well, yes. I mean, he uh, has arrested, as uh, we all know, um, a, hundreds of uh, businessmen and some royals uh, and put them in the Ritz Hotel in what he has called as a anti-corruption campaign, but some have labeled a shakedown. That was in November. And then he's also arrested clerics, critics, women activists who pushed for the same changes that he has made, um, including driving. Um, he's, he's received a lot of criticism for this. So I asked him about it, about how he felt about this criticism, that some people are saying he's not a real uh, reformer. And he cut me off. He said, I didn't call myself a reformer of Saudi Arabia. Uh, I'm the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So it's, it seems just to me that, that the, the crown prince is trying to follow a framework of modernization for his company that's more along the lines of um, President Xi in China or maybe President Putin in, in Russia. But so where does the country itself go from here? Well, I mean, it's, um, that remains to be seen. He still has a lot of supporters in Saudi Arabia, a lot of people who say all that we are hearing about him, about him being behind the Khashoggi affair uh, is, is not true, that this is a conspiracy hatched basically by um, his rivals, Turkey and Qatar, to make him look bad. So he does still have a lot of supporters in Saudi Arabia. So clearly the president, uh, President Trump, that is, has a close relationship with the crown prince. His first international trip as president was to Saudi Arabia. How would you describe the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia right now? Well, under the Trump administration, it's been uh, extremely close. We all know that um, the prince has a very close uh, has very close ties to the Trump family and especially Trump's son-in-law. Um, and at stake here is uh, billions of dollars worth of arms sales, which Trump has been talking about recently after uh, Jamal's disappearance. I would not be in favor of stopping a country from spending $110 billion. 
um, Trump has been clear on this, um, saying a day or two ago that he has no intention of holding a $100 billion arms deal. Uh, then you have Iran. The two countries have the same position on mm -hmm. Iran. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a crucial regional partner in the escalating confrontation with, with Iran. Uh, but we're also hearing that um, U.S. lawmakers are putting pressure on Trump to take action after Jamal's disappearance. Um, we heard from Bob Corker, who's the mm -hmm. Senate Foreign Relations Committee chairman. Uh, he's, warned, he's warned of significant sanctions at the highest levels uh, on the kingdom if it's determined that uh, Saudi Arabia was involved. And he had uh, harsh words to say about Crown Prince uh, Mohammed, saying he's one of the brightest leaders we've ever dealt with in the Middle East. But if you, and this I'm quoting here, if you let him get away with killing journalists in his 30s, it's only going to get worse. And so this has got to be nipped in the butt. This is the end of his quote. There's a sense of entitlement um, I hate to use the word, but arrogance that comes with dealing with them. And, and part of that may be because they have an, an incredibly close relationship with the administration. So if, if the United States doesn't kind of lead the charge in righting what possibly could be a massive and horrific wrong, whom else on the planet, uh, maybe in the region, will lead the charge? Well, I mean... Uh it's we are seeing that even without that happening uh we are getting hints of what is uh what could possibly happen uh saudi arabia is hosting an event it's it's been dubbed as the davos in the desert in in a couple of weeks it's intended to showcase Pr prince mohammed's uh, modernization plan for the kingdom um since Jamal's disappearance, um, some company leaders uh, have backed away from the event. Uh, billionaire Richard Branson sees mm -hmm. the case as a potential game changer for companies doing business with Saudi Arabia. And Donna, I should add, Bloomberg was involved in this event before, but Bloomberg will no longer serve as a media partner for the Future Investment Initiative. Donna, once the truth comes out, if the truth comes out, what's the diplomatic fallout for Saudi Arabia and the Crown Prince? Well, it could weaken uh, his ties with the U.S. and with other Western countries, that's um, to start with. But is it possible to say that, you know, as time goes by and if, and if it, it becomes reality, what many, many people are afraid of, that if, if this becomes a reality, that, reality that the relationships between the U.S. and the Crown Prince and Saudi Arabia will eventually just go back to normal? Well, it did after the September 11 attack, so I guess everything is possible in politics. And finally, Donna, I just want to ask you, do you believe Jamal is alive or do you think he's dead? Uh, for all of us who have known Jamal, we really hope that he is alive. But at this point, the evidence points to um, him being dead now. Donna Abu Nasser, thank you very much. Thank you. Make sure you follow Donna and her reporting on Twitter. She's at DonnaAN1. That's a TikTok for today. Thanks for listening, and please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers, and you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok.